Anton Ferdinand, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Frank. How are you? Yeah, good. But I have a bone to pick with you before okay. we start. And that is when you had the opportunity in your peak. Look at this thing collapsing. It's collapsing already. The sinking sand of despair The smell of dread in the air I'm head to toe in my own fear I'm going to die and I need to cry When you had the opportunity in your peak, why didn't you play for Ireland? I couldn't play for Ireland. I would have played for Ireland. I thought you could have. I thought I could. Like it was my my great granddad. Not my granddad. My granddad was born in England. My great granddad was Irish. My, I mean, my mum's grandparents. Okay, so Rio couldn't have played for Ireland either. No. I thought he said in an interview we could. After, he was we, just playing up for the crowd. For, years, for years we thought we could. And when we, when there was a stage where they tried to, to get me and I think Jermaine Pennant, because we have uh, Irish descent, and but it worked out because it was our great-grandparents rather than our grandparents, we couldn't do it. The second one I have is the penalty against Liverpool. It winds me up to this day. <laughs> the Stephen Gerrard story, him getting the brace, then winning the FA Cup the year after winning the European Cup, which propelled a kind of consistent period of keeping them important as a top team. Why'd you miss it? Did you overthink it? No, do you know what's crazy? Yeah, I swear down. When I went, so you got to think, I'll give you a painting picture for you, right? So you're playing in a game where there's like 85, 90,000 people. So it's noisy, it's loud within the stadium. All the all of the atmosphere is directed towards the pitch. That's where I am, I'm on the pitch. I go up to take the penalty. I go to put the ball down and it's just silence. And that, it was like, what the hell? Like, it was just crazy, it was just silent. First time I've been in that position in a game of that magnitude. Like, normally I take penalties in training or I've never taken a penalty in a game... Like where it's like that, or that so you were le- you were less confident than you would have been just on on the street in training. Hundred percent. Just you were doubting yourself nah, at the spot. It, I wouldn't say that. I was still confident, but the silence, the silence just threw me. And like, I swear, I put the ball down. And remember the uh, Nokia uh, ringtone kick. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I heard. You heard was, that in the, in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. And I was oh, like, shit. wow. And I just lost. All my trailer full. Like where, where was I putting it? The, so you just said I'm going to run up to the thing on a kick it like I'm like I'm. No, nah, and then I, and then I just I don't know. I just, like listen, it was a great save. <laughs> I'll put it that it's a great save. I got to save that. How good were you? <laughs> yeah, I was good, man. You could tell by the reaction. It still haunts me today. Lipping. I just wanted the ground to open open up and swallow. If you'd me. won that FA Cup at West Ham, because that fan base is so unique and so impressive, you'd be icons. Exactly, exactly. How did you let him do it? We talk about Steven Gerrard's strike from distance. Someone should block him. That ball shouldn't end up in that bottom corner. Should you have stuck a leg out? I'm so far away from it. I'm so far away from it. The ball passes you. You were afraid of the own goal in the No chance, no chance. Um, To be fair, the ball shouldn't even have got to there because... um, Lionel Scaloni at the time should have have kept the ball in. He should have kicked it into the into the top tier yeah. if he kicks it into the top tier it, the the, the, the um, referee blows the whistle if West Ham had won that FA Cup the whole club would have changed it would Massive. have been a different place oh definitely and then that summer Tevez and Mascarano arrive you're there for that and Tevez did his duty what was the story of those boys coming when you saw them arriving were you just thinking what the fuck are they doing here yeah when they turned up obviously they're the same, around the same age as me as well but yeah. when they turned up these guys are big, big names, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're big names. And were you just thinking there's something corrupt here? The no, mafia are nearly involved in this. No, I wasn't. I was just. I was Why just, were they there, Anton? I don't know, but I was just buzzing that they were there. To yeah. be honest with me, with you, I was just buzzing that they were there. Like, and to be fair, training went up five percent. Like it was like a joke. Would they express kind of accidentally that they think they're above this? No, never. no, 
Never. But Mascarano okay. only stayed for like five games and left as soon as he could. Yeah, he, he couldn't get ahead of Hayden Mullins. That's what it was. Hayden Mullins was playing ahead of him. Um, and how? Hayden was play. I'll, I'll be honest with you. In that team, Hayden was probably our most important player. But Javier Mascarano, one of the greatest in his position the game's ever seen. Uh, I'll, listen, I wouldn't argue with that, but it, at the, when he came, he wasn't ready for the pace of the of the English game. What was Tevez like as a dude? Oh, he's funny man. Like, he couldn't speak English, but we had he had an interpreter with him at all times. And seriously, we knew if if Carlos was at the casino all night, we didn't know via him. We knew via the interpreter because his eye had matchsticks in his eyes. <laughs> like it was unbelievable. As a person, for someone who don't speak English and coming from another culture, he embraced it. He was involved in, in a lot of things. We used to go out, he'd come out with us and he'd spend his whole night on the dance floor. The guy knew how to party. Yeah, he did. They all do then there. South America. That yeah. flair. It has to be accompanied by some flair in the nightclub. Hundred percent. That's how they that's how they, they take that flair and that that bounce under the full pitch. Was having your brother being, and I've said this before, so I'll say it many times, I probably think Rio Ferdinand, I probably think, I think he's the best centre half in the history of the English game. I truly believe that. He doesn't get a fair shake. I don't know why. Maybe because he's associated with that kind of early days socialite aspect. He liked to party and mm-hmm. he had the, the punked show. Oh, and I remember before the 06 yeah. broke up, that little bit, of, it, they didn't like that yet. They wanted Bobby Moore. Ferdinand, Terry, Van Dyke, three best Premier League centre-halves ever. Would you, would you disagree with that? I think Van Dyke's on his way to being that. But, but when you see it, when you watch him as, as a former you centre-half yourself, Van Dyke's a, he's a joke. He's, re, he's very, very good. He's probably slightly above Saul Campbell. Yeah. And then you have Rio, Terry, and Van Dyke's about to join that company. Yeah, I'd I'd say so. I'd say I'd say company would be in that. Do you think that, so? Yeah, company as good as company the, the two boys, Rio and Terry. I wouldn't say as good, but I'd put him in that. I'd put him in that conversation. It's weird the way we're talking like Berezi, Maldini, Ramos. That's the level I'd have Rio and Terry at. Why, when England had these players, you were a bit younger than them. You obviously were, were looking to go on and and join the international scene. Why did they underachieve so much? I know it's, a, it's not only a cliche question, but we get cliched answers, but the players were insane. Ashley Cole, Terry, Ferdinand, Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes, Rooney, Owen. Yeah, I, Give Alex McLeish that managerial job in 20 euros. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It was essentially uh, a World eleven. Do you know what? And Rio said it before, there wasn't... So if they had the togetherness that's in the England squad today where people don't take their club mentality to international football they would have won something but you nearly need to take it to that level to make the club game so entertaining so they nearly actually they sacrificed themselves as an international unit to give us those rivalries 100% and we thank them for that because that was better I'd rather see that than than an English team who were best mates you would say that as as an Irish man wouldn't you what would you say I would say that when you go and play with nationals, you play with nationals. If you don't, when you're at your clubs, then you're rivals. When your brother's as good as Rio Ferdinand was, did it benefit you that he was your brother because you could kind of learn what he did? It's more realistic to be that good. You see what he's doing, you get tips, or does it hold you back because you have to live up to that name? Was he more talented than you? And you benefited off his advice or was it similar talent and having to live up to something that he didn't have to live up to held you back? There's two ways to look at it. It was good for the reasons that you've just said in terms of having someone who I could speak to at the end of the phone could speak to about players I was playing against, about my own game because we played the same position. Yeah, so when you say players you're playing against, if he marked Drogba the week before, would you ring him? 100%. Oh, he, he doesn't lock on the left side, bro. Exactly. exactly oh, my that. goodness. You know, so I would... I had that advantage. What if you were playing against United? Would he tell you anything no. about... No. The, the game, the game, the week leading up to United, we didn't, we wouldn't speak. No chance. But on the flip side of it, it was almost having Rio as my brother made it harder for me. I had to work as hard... I had to work harder than other people um, because the minute I step on the pitch... For someone who's never seen me play before, I got 
literally five minutes to show them something that com- that compares me to Rio. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just rubbish. Yeah, you or know? else you're just living off the name. Exactly. Um, so the pressure was there, but also I understood and I knew that there will be times I would get chances because I am his brother, but yeah. I had to perform. It wasn't like, okay, yeah, you're getting, you might get that chance because you are Rio's brother, but... Rio's not walking the pit, he's not running on the pitch with me. I've got I still gotta go and perform. So I knew I had to be ready at any given time. Did Rio want you to be as good as you could be, or did he have that older brother thing a bit? That old brothers have that all right, I like the fact you're playing Premier League football. I like the fact that you're only the second West Ham player ever to get Premier League player of the month, which is a big deal at twenty one. It's a huge deal. Yeah. But calm the fuck down, you're not taking my off. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Now listen, he he wanted me to be the best I could be and he was proud of, of me becoming a footballer but the competitive edge of him and the, the way he is he would never have wanted me to be better than him 100% yeah. when you scored against United in 08 you can see how pissed off he is <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not just pissed off that someone lost their man it's fucking how did you let him score yeah no it's true um, and just to go on top of what you're saying there he um so all of obviously we're playing Man United, we're playing against each other. Family and friends are in the box watching the game. Obviously, we win. The previous year he won, two one, came up, saw the family, it was brilliant. Like, okay. Next year, I started on the bench, I come on, scored the equalizer, then we go on and win two one. Yeah. And we scored early, Ronaldo, wearing yeah. a beautiful black jersey. Yeah. After the game, I went up to the uh, to the to the lounge where all our family was. Well, where's Rio? <laughs> where's Rio? Where is he? Gets, gets a phone call. My, my um, parents gets a phone call. Um, yeah, I'm on the I'm on the way back out of Manchester. I'll speak to you tomorrow. <laughs> that just tells you everything. Fergie like brothers. We see that with the Nevilles to the Silvers. Was there ever talk after one of those games? Fergie just going, Rio, putting Anton in. Nah, no chance. Never. Did you never no want to go chance. to United when I, Rio was there? I would have loved to. 100% I would have loved to. Um, I knew that Sir Alex Ferguson... Did he like you as a player? He knew, I, I think he did because I always played quite well against against United, if I'm honest. So I think he he thought I was a good player. Um, but listen, he had the best and he had someone who was just as good in, in Nemanja Vidic. So... Would you have needed me? Would you then you got others, other layers underneath that? Would you have need, needed me? Would I have progressed and played? No, probably not. If you look at the standard centre half in football, it has dropped to an unbelievable level. If you look at Anton Ferdinand, I'd love to be in, coming in through 06, now. Though, I'd yeah. love to be coming Anton Ferdinand now. 06 is better than both Ant- McGuire and Lindelof. I, I, listen, <laughs> Let, let's be honest. Anton oh. Ferdinand uncapped 1721 caps, but as an uncapped player, what was in front of you? You were better than Harry Maguire. The, the, you, you were. What about his game was better? I couldn't tell you if I'm honest, but... <laughs> no, to be honest with you, like... If you were 21 now, when you were 21 at West Ham, you would have 10, 20 caps. My players, 100%. I, I fully agree with that. And I, listen, 100%. If I was coming through now, I'd be rubbing my hands all day long. When I was coming through, you got to understand. When I was coming through, I'm trying to get into an England team where there's Rio... John Terry, Woodgate, Sol Campbell, Sol Ledley Campbell. King, who doesn't even have to train. Ledley King. That's six of the best that have that have graced the Premier League, by the way. And then today, people are coming through. Maguire, Keane, you know, um, John Stones. Yeah, It's one of the Eric worst Dyer, as a centre-halves in, you know? in English football. And not to, say that, not to say that they're not good players, but I think they're not me, top, they're me, not me in 2006, my first year in the Premier League, I think I'm playing. Because you were probably as good as Rio was, in a way. He obviously came through, he made the World Cup squad in 98, aged 18. He was such a big deal when he came through. But by the time he got to 21, it looked like you were going to be every bit as good. When those seasons ended, like the 06 season, like the 07 season, how did that big money offer come in for Anton Ferdinand? Do you think you were nearly burdened by the fact that people said he's played well? Like The goal against Fulham is probably the greatest centre-half goal scored by a centre-half in Premier League history. But do people just go, he's good, but he's just a brother? Potentially. Do you wish you were called like Anton Smith? 
No, the, the name Ferdinand is it's iconic. Yeah, you know, so, it is iconic. And so, her cousin's Les Ferdinand, yeah, not many so, people talk about. But I mean the fact that if you didn't have a family link and it was just performance-based, you would have got a big offer. Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, you know. Potentially, potentially. Um, I know there was, there was talk, I think, with Arsenal or something at a time, but I think um, Arsene Wenger would only pay a certain amount of money for me and West Ham wanted more. Even in 2006, the Germany World Cup, I was meant to, I, after the FA Cup final, I had a double hernia operation. But I only had that because I wasn't in the 30-man squad for England's World Cup yeah. uh, squad. So I had the operation and then someone in the squad got injured and Sven Goranix and rang for me to go and meet up with the squad. But I couldn't go. Um, if I would have went to that and I would have went to the World Cup, my path would have been different, 100%. Why'd you leave West Ham? Boyhood Club... They loved you there. What happened? I didn't want to leave. I did not want to leave. The sporting director at the time, Gianluca Nani, his name was the Italian fella, he came to me and he was like, listen, we've had an offer from Sunderland, £8 million, we, we want to accept that. And, and did you want to play on Roy Keane as well? Um, not at first. I didn't. I was like, no, I'm not going. Like, point blank, no, I'm not going. And remember that the um, Icelandic owners were in at West Ham at the time and they were, were struggling a little bit. There was turmoil yeah. within the club upstairs. And he was going up, but you have to go. And I was like, I'm not going. He went, but Roy Keane will be really good for you. I said, OK, well, bring Roy Keane here and let him be good for me here because I'm not leaving my club. And this went on for about 10 days. And then he said to me, he came to me and he pulled on my heartstrings really and he said, listen, if, you don't, if we don't get this money, the club could be finished. So I was like, flipping, okay, no problem. I, what I'll do is I'll go and... I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to go. I'm going to go and speak to Roy Keane. And if I feel like it's the club for me, then then I'll go. If not, then I'll be staying here and don't mention it to me again. So it's like, okay, no problem. And did you like Keane as a guy? Oh, I loved, uh, when I went and saw him, like, literally I was, we spoke for hour, a couple of hours, spoke, and he was like, um, but the things that he said to me and like allude to what we were just talking about he said to me okay Anton you got the elite centre backs who are in England set up in an England team right so the likes of your brother John Terry Carragher Woodgate Ledley King but you see underneath that there's others that are there but you should you should be in that bracket like fighting to get in there and I think with my help, you can get in there. Like, so, so to speak, if I'm saying Anton should be in the England squad, people are going to listen. Yeah. Because it's Roy Keane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't say it like that, but and that's, what, that's what, what, went that's what, what went around. There was too many characters in the squad who didn't respond well to Keane's methods. Was he too aggressive? Was he too old school? Could people not handle him? He left after three and a half months yeah. <laughs> of my time there. Why was that, though? Why, why, a, why he wasn't he getting results? He had a, such a great footballing mind. He had a disagreement with the with the board upstairs and he had enough. Um, I really enjoyed working with him. I thought he was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed I I liked the fact he had he was it was tough love. Like he let you know if you're playing rubbish, if you're playing well, he let you know and he didn't mind he didn't give he didn't care that he'd bought me for eight million. So if he uh, he bought me for eight million pound, but the guy next to me, he bought for for five hundred grand. He will chat to me and treat me the exact same as him. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So like, I really like that. It's a strange club, Sunderland. It seems like, regardless of how close they look like becoming some kind of Premier League team, something always goes wrong. It wasn't when I was there. I'll be honest. It wasn't like that when I was there. When I came to Sunderland, they stayed up that year. They had their first year in the Premier League. They stayed up. Then I came, and it was to to stay up again. So we're not like because before that, Sunderland was a bit of a yo-yo club. So they wanted to stop that yo-yo tradition that they that they had, and that was my job really to to do that. That was part of my the mission that I had been given. And um, no matter who the manager was, and. Then Steve Bruce come in. I, I'd done that that year. Then Steve Bruce come and in. And he didn't like it. And no, we didn't We didn't get on. But Why? You weren't his style of centre-half? I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I, I don't think it was footballing reasons. I think it was personal. Why? 
I couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you. And He didn't like your style of bloke or what? Maybe so. I don't know. He was old school. He was Geordie. He was... Maybe. Maybe I was... Were you a bit too flash when you were younger? Did you like throwing the money around? Did you like letting no. people know? Like if Instagram was around when Anton Ferdinand was 22, would we have seen you with a huge following annoying us? No. No chance. Not a chance. You listen, were focused on your game at all times. Listen, not all the time. No, I wasn't. But I wasn't outlandish. I wasn't like thingy. I had a, I had nice cars. You know, like everyone has nice cars now who plays football. I, I, why, I, why is the car such a go-to thing for a footballer? They're only a mode of transport. Of is course. it because you want to show people you have the money? Not at all. Because you hardly want to drive a Lamborghini and be stuck in traffic in South London. I don't like Lamborghinis. Or what, no, but you know what I mean. Whatever, whatever <laughs> style of expensive car. No, There's no need. We're not okay. in Monaco. We're not in a racetrack. Why not just sit in a Volkswagen and just get on with things? Why do you need to show everyone you have it? Just I like to have I like to have nice things. I worked hard for it, and I want if I wanted to buy a nice car, I'd buy a nice car. But surely that's not the point of wealth. It's such a waste. What is what difference does it actually make to your life between having? whatever great brand of car you had and, and having a shit car. None. None. Listen, my arms were all right because I, I had power steering so it was I didn't have to fight with a steering wheel. That is okay. such a ridiculous <laughs> excuse for having that level. Is it no, because you're trying, to impress, you're trying to impress females and you're trying to show the world? Because you, you came from a working class background yeah. and you would have felt a huge injustice on seeing people who had more than you money-wise. And Is it a bit of a fuck you to the world while you decide to get the cars, get the watch, get the clothes? No, I just liked nice things. I believe I worked hard to, for my money and I can spend it on what I want. But no, I understand but it's that. It's not a case of like I spend it and I'm there and I'm putting it in your face. I was never. But like do you that. think it's strange that like if we went to a footballing club in the Premier League and we look at the parking lot, we'd we'd see around six million pounds worth of cars pull in. But if we went to a top hospital where there's brain surgeons and heart surgeons who are literally taking people's hearts out of their chest, massaging it and putting it back in, somebody's dead and becomes alive again. And we went to their car park and we saw maybe only a combined 200 grand worth of cars. It is ridiculous. Footballers should have a responsibility. They're entertainers. Don't splash your money all around. It yeah, looks but, ridiculous. Yeah, but if someone wants to get it's not our fault we're, we're, we're giving that money. Yeah, but you have a responsibility not to drive in with a Lambo to Middlesbrough. But why would it? Why because would you're in you? Middlesbrough. You know what I mean? You're in Stoke. You should not have a Lamborghini. It's overcast. And you drove you? by Sainsbury's on but your what, way here. But what tells you you shouldn't have that? Social responsibility. The, what, what's the responsibility of, 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 of that? Well, don't, if it is showing people, for me personally, I would look at it, I would look at it and I'd go... I would never look at a car and go, "Why has he got that for?" The I would people, always look at. I would look at it and go, you "That money, yeah, love you, because you sacrifice your body in a way, and you have a certain footballing IQ that we find immensely entertaining. We find your conflicts entertaining. We find your passing entertaining. But to use that and then start driving in like your puff daddy is ridiculous, and that's why fans have become." more out of touch with players. And that's one of the reasons why we see corporates take up tickets. A West Ham home game doesn't feel like it used to when you played. It's a completely different experience. And the more we leave it, the more football will slowly stop becoming what football was. That distance was added. If you played for West Ham in the 60s, you would have went to a boozer in Green Street after you scored that goal against Fulham and you would have had a few pints with the East End boys. Well, I, could, I can see it today categorically and say with my chest, my relationship with the, with the West Ham fans is one of what you just said. The old school one? Yep. Well, that's why, that's why I, I, I can go back to the club and, and I'm well received. Not just because of that, but... No matter what car I drove, I drove into the into the bowling ground at the time. I remember my brother gave me a car for for my birthday, like one of them big Chryslers. It looked like a Bentley. You know, I was young, nineteen. I was in a car like that looked like a it was a Chrysler, but it had wheels in it. It looked like a Bentley. I didn't drive it to a game. I drove it to training, but I never drove it to a game until I felt that. I deserve to until I played a certain amount of games. Your academy. Until I played a certain amount of games, then I started driving it in. But when we're actually talking about that product, like uh, when you, let's say, have a Bentley or you have, what do you like about it? How it makes you feel or do you actually like the interior? Because you're not, you're not fucking Michael Schumacher here. 
you don't care about the car. You like the status attached to the car. It feels nice. It feels nice to have a better car than everyone else in society. No, it feels nice to look outside and know that I've worked hard for something that I wanted and that I liked. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same thing as obviously. It's a difficult. It's an investment in terms of thingy. So you have watches that are investments. When you buy a watch, that's that's investment. It's the same thing. But I look at. I don't look at it and go, oh, "That's an investment." I look at it and go, "I've worked hard for that." Because what I would do is, I would. I wouldn't buy a watch because I could buy it. I would look at like, say, for instance, if I had a, if I had a clean sheet bonus, or I yeah. had. Uh, um, do they an appear an they appearance exist. or yeah or an appear- you actually get a bonus for keeping a clean or, sheet yeah or, 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 or um, an appearance fee so ridiculous again if, if the if the, exist. if the watch was a, if the watch say the watch was was 30 grand say the watch was 30,000 pounds okay? would it be 30,000 pounds a watch whatever the, whatever More, it maybe. is whatever what's it is. the most expensive watch you've ever purchased honestly uh, 50 grand 60 grand I couldn't tell you on a watch I couldn't tell you in your head, you're thinking, "I'll sell that down the line. It'll be worth. It. I'll leave it to my children." If it's if it's uh, um, there's some watches that don't keep their money, that hold don't hold their money, but there's watches that do. But I'll be, I would never just go and buy a watch because I could. I would look at it and go, "Okay, if the watch is is um, say the watch is, I'll give you say it's thirty grand watch, but I get five grand in appearance. I'll know." I'll split it up so it's five appearances. I'll split it up so it's appearances plus um, clean sheet bonuses. So my clean sheet bonus might only be £2,000. I would calculate what the £2,000 is for the 30 and I would wait until I got that through my bonuses. Then I'd go and get the watch because then I've earned it. That's how I've done things. But you know the way there's so many people, especially people who came from your background, these footballers went on to do it, and then you walk around with the watch, you, you drive around in the car. What about if you all put your clean sheet and your appearances bonuses into research, into education in working class communities, and set up educationary systems that attempted to give people a better chance? Would that not symbolise your struggle and what you achieve more so than just getting paid money by, by white businesses, really, by the white man's game originally? And becoming a symbol of what they are which in turn led to the disparity would it not have been so much more effective if these footballers who were getting overpaid for playing football at the end of the day by by white businessmen to take the money and go let's fucking give it back and let's get a fair shot as opposed to having the watch having the car and people go I understand you came from nothing I understand that racism is a problem but this looks like hypocrisy and it looks like you've been brainwashed by the white business mind that's a that's a very good point, and but no one in Peckham could ever say I don't give back to my community. You I know? don't even mean you personally. I I know, but I, I I get what you mean, and I get it. Is we're not educated, and we we in my era wasn't educated in that way. It's different now. People are being educated to do this stuff now, you know. But in my era, we wasn't educated to to do that. I'll give you an, an example. My and it's like my dad, my mum and my dad. As much as they're my mum and my dad, and I respect and I love them. They couldn't tell me how to invest my money. They could because I'm looking at going. What do you like? What do you know? What have you invested in? Mm. Do you know what I mean? We was never brought up in, or we were never educated that way. Whereas I know that my nieces and nephews my children, they will be educated differently when it comes to money. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be told and and advised yeah. to do this, do that. We never had that. Isn't it weird the way money, though, is still the tool that it completely changed? Like, your dad is, he's from St. Lucia. Your mother was a white woman of Irish descent. And I don't know how much she meant to you boys. And then she comes over, you guys are in a, a working-class environment in Peckham. Then you become footballers, you make all the money, and probably... Rio's kids and your kids not only will they be children who've had money but they probably won't even feel the need to play something like sport they'll probably be in Oxford and Cambridge they're no. actually the, the, why they, no. they possibly will though when we, they grow know, up they nearly join the the elitist class we, me and Rio have this conversation a lot how do we keep our children hungry for yeah. whatever they want to do and they're never going to be built like me and Rio because 
they ain't grown up in the same environment that we've, we've grown up and we work hard and we worked hard and we still work hard every day to make sure that our children don't grow up the same way that we did. When you're trying to strive to be a footballer, there's other things you have to do too. There's sacrifices. And me and my job now, this is what I talk to the young children, the young kids about. Sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? Do you want to be a footballer or do you, or do you like the thought of being a footballer? Because if you like the thought of, of being a footballer, you will never become one. Because if you like the if you don't like the thought of it, you will not sacrifice what you need to sacrifice. And I'd respect that viewpoint much more if you had the Roy Keane approach, like when he saw Peter Crouch in traffic and Solomon and Aston Martin, and Peter Crouch felt embarrassed. If that is your attitude, which I believe it is, because you and Rio achieved things as brothers, especially from the, the background you came from, that was so globally impactful. But I find there's a little bit of a hypocritical element then to go to these kids and say, do you want to be a footballer? By showing up at a Bentley or a thing, it undermines that. It doesn't undermine it because I'm showing them that there's a way out of where they've grown up. It's like, like, why like the me. You know, you, why, why the other extreme? Why not just go, there's a way out, look at us, we're financially independent. But I can, but I can still do that. showing up in a Lambo that. in but Northern can, England, but ridiculous. I still, but I can still do that. I can say, okay, well, I'm... They can see that I've turned up in a Lamborghini or they've t- I've turned up in a Bentley, but I can also say to them, but I've secured myself because I've bought four or five properties. It's the same, but they just don't see it. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing. That I'm, live, I'm standing in front of them, talking to them and telling them my journey. I'll take an example, though. Back in the day when football didn't pay this much, we had icons like Kenny Sansom. There's pictures of him now. He's drinking a litre of vodka in the park. He wouldn't have the properties you have you wouldn't have the money you have but what he does have is 11 PFA team of the year appearances and he's known as one of the best fullbacks in English history when you talk to people about do you want to be a footballer do you want to be someone who has the life of a footballer would you rather be Kenny Sansom or you in terms of how much does your playing legacy mean to you there's players who achieve much more on the international stage than you did who'd be much less financially secure because TV money wasn't there and the modernisation of the game didn't exist Mm-hmm. so do you know what I mean now, now yeah. it's a different angle you, you seem to be advising football not not totally but slightly from a career aspect as opposed to just being a god on the pitch Maradona had less money than probably do you mean Daniel James is going to have when he retires yeah not 100 but listen I, I get what you mean so what, what what matters to you guys Rio's in the fortunate position to have both because football, football means football me. I never ever I had offers to go places where I was going to double my money I never went I went to play in the Premier League I wanted to. Where I did wanted you get to, offered to go? I got offered to go Ukraine from Sunderland. The Nepo offered me, and Steve Bruce was saying to me, Anton, you got to go. Look at the money there, you got to go. And I was like, no, I don't want it. Football money's not my motivation. I always, I've, I was always. But you wouldn't be as famous if you went to Ukraine. You, you knew, you knew the kind of brand of Anton Ferdinand. But, but it wasn't the fame. Uh, it wasn't the fame. I don't. I'm not fame hungry. It's more the the fact of I'm playing the best league in the world and. I've got more to offer it. Offer it. I'm not going anywhere, I, and that's and I said this to him at the time. I'm not going anywhere because I, I'm still want to play in the in the Premier League, and I offer. I've got more to offer the Premier League, so I'm not going. And in terms of what you what you were saying before, I feel. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm I know not what actually, you mean. I'm not actually I know what going you at you. What I'm saying is that look at Manchester United now. Just make sure it leans into the mic a bit, a little bit. Yeah. Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard. We're looking at talent there. When they won the U Cup in 2011 at Manchester United, probably more so than Lingard, it has actually been wasted by the concept of advertising your wealth and your life. Lingard and Pogba, huge Instagram heads, and we haven't seen the best of them on the pitch. And that attitude and that kind of celebration of what we are given by football as opposed to what we give football, it originated in that period when you guys played. When you had West Ham players who were fighting relegation showing up in cars that people on Wall Street couldn't purchase, people who were heart surgeons couldn't purchase, money in football, it got fucking corrupted, man. And it took away from what made you guys great originally. Mm-hmm. But we live in a different, in a different world now. We live what in what a if world. the fans are saying, fuck you then? What if, what if we end up in a world where Amazon buy the Premier League and, and the European Super League starts and it's United v Barcelona, it's United v Real Madrid on a Saturday because that's what maximises figures and that's what maximises money. Would you guys stand by and still do punditry on that game? Or would you say, fuck this, football's lost its soul? You go to work, don't you? You go to work. You no, go to work. No, you have to have a bit of morals, surely though. Surely, if If the European Super League starts, let's say, which it possibly will in the next 20 years, 
and the fucking Premier League and the whole concept of English football is gone and they want to make it NFL, NBA we want 16 teams we want the biggest clubs in Europe there's no relegation but these become franchises with the likes of you Rio, John Terry Ashley Cole Wayne Rooney Frank Lampard Stephen Gerrard Ryan Giggs the guys who made this game actually sit by and go i got to go to work, I'll collect money and I'll commentate on this. Or will you actually stand up on social media and say, stop ruining our game? Stop ruining the game that made us great and that we made great simultaneously? I can only speak for myself. Yeah. And if I felt passionately about something, I would stand up and say, talk about it 100%. But the onus ain't on... It's not awful as 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 football players it's not awful as pundits that football is going that way in terms of a business it's not our fault you know and we're not we're not the way that american sports stars are the american sports stars there's a togetherness over there if something's going wrong as a as a as a collective, they're going. You know what? We're we're not having this. Yeah, but it's starting to look similar. I see Cam Newton. I see people like this. They show up to NFL Sunday. They're dressed in a three piece suit. The Premier League isn't far off that. They used to listen. At Sunderland, Fergie made Beckham shave his mohawk off before the Charity Shield. In the <laughs> this is Sir Alex Ferguson. This is old school, and that's not saying we're living in a different era now. We're living in a social media driven era where numbers mean everything. So what you're saying to us is that the art is going to die and the guys who built it, such as Peckham's second most famous set of brothers ever, the Ferdinands, are going to stand by. Who was the first? The Trotters, Del Boy and Rodney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to stand by <laughs> and you're, you're actually going to, let our, you're going to let our game kill itself. And you won't notice us being gone, the football hardcore, because the numbers will replace it. You'll get more in China, India, you'll get more in America, you'll get more in Argentina, you'll get more worldwide that will sit down and they'll watch the Amazon-sponsored European Super League. And when the likes of me are sitting here going, it used to be fucking better, you're just going to go, well, you know what, bro, if you're relevant. <laughs> no. Because the numbers replaced it. And but, you don't give a shit when the soul goes. But what ma- what makes Amazon, Netflix, whoever it is, by the Premier League. A complete lack of discipline towards the growth of capitalism. It's the, Us not it's, limiting, okay, hold the fucking show here. They can now, they can sell you a gardening product and then they can own the Premier League too much. That's called monopolising. That is wrong. But what? But if the Premier League wasn't entertaining, if the Premier League, if we lost the, the, the entertaining factor selling, of... Yeah, but we're selling... What made it entertaining? We're selling the original core, what made it entertaining. Do you know what I mean? If there was no... If there was no The Who, if there was no Sex Pistols, there'd be no X Factor. Mm-hmm. The, the popularity of music built off Bob Dylan, built off the Beatles, and then the X Factor turned it into this complete fucking shit show where somebody who used to work in Tesco goes, I'm going to sing your song, and the nation votes for them. Now, you go on Spotify, you type in the top 100 artists, and how, how many of them are writing their own tune? None That's of them. True. The standard of the art is gone, but the numbers have increased. So what you're telling me is, in football terms, the standard of the art gone, but the numbers increase. Look at Manchester United now. I look at the back four. I look at Luke Shaw. I look at wan I look at Harry Maguire. I look at Victor Lindelof. Not only would that not have been the Manchester United back four 15 years ago, it wouldn't have stayed up in England. West Ham had a better back four. Okay, let's go through it. Wambasaki is uncapped. Luke Shaw, he's overweight. He peaked at 18. He had a broken leg. He hasn't fully recovered from Harry Maguire is an unbelievably average centre half. Phil Jones and Chris Smalling were both far ahead of him in their peak. And Victor Lindelof, he's grand. <laughs> he's grand. What does he do? That's the Manchester United back four. But our viewing figures are as high as ever. Twitter and Instagram are as popular as ever. But I used to watch Gary Neville or Wes Brown with Rio Ferdinand Vidic and Patrice Evra. So the standard's gone, but the interest is there. But we don't seem to have a problem with that. We're willing to kill the beauty and standard of the game for numbers. And you're saying you're all going to stand by is the guys who benefited off the game and you, you took your money, you had your Bentleys, and we're all sitting there seeking entertainment and we're fucked. Football is dead. If that's how it goes, there's nothing. There's nothing really we can do about it, is there? Is there? Tell me, is there, is there anything we can do about it? We're talking about we're talking about juggernauts. We're talking about juggernauts, by the way, juggernauts. We're not talking about small fish. We're talking about juggernauts. We're talking about people. We're talking about businesses that run worlds. 
that ran yeah, the world. But back in the day, it still used to be sport, and you could relate to it. If Anton Ferdinand played bad on a Saturday night, you'd watch it on match of the day, you'd talk about it on your Sunday league team. It was slightly relatable. He might get dropped, he might be in the team next week. De Gea, who I think's a great goalkeeper, but at the end of the day, for the last two and a half years, he's made so many mistakes that in any other era, he'd be fucked off. But because he is so marketable, because he's built up such a brand, he's he's immovable. But that started years ago. Why did, other than Bex being a really good player, Bex no Be- Beckham started it. There's no doubt about that. Know. But he was he was consistent. Of course he was. And the minute he stopped getting consistent, Fergie said, "See you later." It's, the, night it's, the, it's the same as Fergie it's... kept United away from that marketing. So are you kind of saying that the game's been like this? But as a United fan who grew up in the Fergie era, he protected me. From the modernisation of the game? Potentially, yeah. Potentially. I think, from what I'm getting from this, as a Man United fan, you being a Man United fan, I don't think you're coping well with the demise of the football club. And I'd agree with that. But I I don't just think it's the football club. I think that the demise of us being allowed so easily by the guy who runs the club and Ed Woodward who's allowed somebody like Ole Solskjaer to have the job for two years now shows that he doesn't care about what happens on the pitch because me and you he's a money man he's a money man he's a marketing man me you and Pat the three of us right now will get better results with the Manchester United team than Solskjaer Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick (laughs) we would how could we do worse look at the quality we're working with what would we say to them You'd come in, you'd give them technicalities, you'd tell them how to defend, you'd, you'd organise the shape, and I'd start motivating them. He'd be sound, and he'd just go around making them feel good about themselves. <laughs> it's a great trio. I'm They're honest. a disgrace, man. Solskjaer's tenure at Manchester United, and obviously people like your brother and Skulls and Giggs and Neville and these guys are in the media, they can't say anything. It's an absolute embarrassment, the fact that he's the Manchester United manager. He's a really good guy, and he was a top player. He's not good enough to manage that football club. He has been atrocious. The top four last season, it just shows kind of the lack of discipline in modern football that Leicester even allowed United to get top four. 66 points getting you top four. Let's get real here. Mm -hmm. Since he's got the permanent managerial role, I think he has a 48% win record in the league as the Manchester United manager. Our players don't have to try. It's not good enough. That sometimes comes from within as well. I'm not disputing what you're saying in terms of the United manager. I think he's out of his depth. 100% 100% I think he's out of his depth um, you can't look at it and go do you know what he was at Cardiff fouled at Cardiff went back to Norway and then came and gets the biggest job in English football yeah. that doesn't make sense no. of course it doesn't the logic ain't there no but talking from a, as a player you can't always rely on your manager you got you got to look, look in the mirror and, and look at yourself and go like I'm Need to sort myself but out. if you were an underachieving player at Manchester United, you'd nearly love Solskjaer having the job because it allows you to get away with not putting in the top effort because a top manager would demand that you show top-class motivation and effort. But Solskjaer, he needs his job. He can't believe he has the job. And the board have used him to avoid criticism because regardless of what happens, he's a club legend. So they can just say, listen, we tried to stick true to the club's roots. We didn't go with the Mourinho and Van Gaal route. So Woodward can avoid criticism and everyone's happy. Bar the true fans. Mm-hmm. Always at the wheel is still a minor thing. People still believe he's the man for the job. He ain't. So no, I, just, I, as I said, I think that he's out of his depth. 100% he's out of his depth. I think he is. Um, the players need to look at themselves. That's 100% they need to look at themselves. Um, and... I make you right in terms of it's been sugar-coated and it's like people have had the wall pull over, pulled over their eyes because he's a club legend and people don't and knowing Man United fans they don't want to because he, he was part of the team that won a treble you don't want to pull him down from the pedestal that he's on yeah. because he is such a nice guy as well you know that plays into it that plays into it as well but if you want to become successful Man United again need to get some type of reality and some type of structure within that football club and the structure that that's there now needs to change when you leave Sunderland you got a QPR you didn't play enough at Sunderland and I didn't play good enough to be I didn't play good enough to be uh, bought by a top 8 club 
But you still knew you were good, though. No, I still knew I was a good player. 100%. Did you still think I'm going to play for England? They're going to get thirty caps. Then I, I always felt until like until I left QPR, until I left the Premier League, I always felt there was a chance I would play for England. So you still thought you were at your your peak? The same guy at 21 who won Player of the Month. You were still Anton Ferdinand at QPR. Not, I wasn't. Uh, I know I wasn't. Um, but there's always that hope. There's always that hope that I would get. What was different though? Was a lack of game time at Sunderland just made you worse at football? Um, I'm someone who who's, who needs to play. I need to. I can't play two games, come out for a few, then go back in. I need to play continuously, and that's what it was at Sunderland with Steve Bruce. But I saw your documentary recently and thought it was brilliant. By the way, and I recommend that any listeners go and watch it. Very well made. Neil Warnock tells you that after the incident. And we'll get to that. That you became a different player after you were distracted by the media headlines. You think that you'd actually lost it before you got to QPR? Um, I lost. I wasn't playing how I was at. Well, I wasn't playing like I was at West Ham. To be fair, the best, my best time at Sunderland in terms of my performances were the three, four games before I left. Okay. I, I struck. I struck up a good partnership with Wes Brown. Mm. You know, and we were playing very, he's very big, well. He's big, he's bad, he's Wesley Brown. What yeah. a player. Very good player. and Very underrated. And Could we, have been as good as anyone. Yeah, without injuries. Yeah. He's another one who was in England's squad as well, who had to fight. Oh, fight shit. But he was, I, I'd have Brown I mean? ahead of Carragher any day of the week, naturally. You know, so. Surely. I used to get in this debate with people. Brown or Carragher? Brown. I'd have Brown as well. As an actual defender, you'd have to. Of course. But, you know, I, um... I struck up a really good partnership with him and then all of a sudden it was cut short. I was told, no matter how, I was in my last year of my contract and I was told by Steve Bruce, for as long as I'm at this football club, you won't get another contract. So that's telling me, don't care how well you do, off you pop. So you go to QPR, you're motivated, they have a good team, a good squad of players and then you play against Chelsea that day, the first... London derby between those two teams in 15 years in the league and then the incident happens and that's what's uh, obviously maybe unfortunately something that your career is always going to be associated with John Terry is and he was England captain he was a multiple league winner he was an incredible centre half I don't Mm -hmm. think any of us can disagree with that an absolute Mm -hmm. freak and he'd had previous controversy with the Wayne Bridge thing and you're playing against him you have a little bit of afters off the ball and you tell him you shag your mate's missus who does that which I presume wasn't the first time he got it in the game. Why did you say that to him? Just because he annoyed you? No, just like I say, we got into an argument. And Did he say the racism thing before you said you shagged your mate's missus? I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear. So you had a bit of a racism. scuffle and you just go to him, you shag your mate's missus. We was, we was having, we was effing and jeffing at each other. Yeah. And, and then he said to you, you're a black aunt. No, no. What happened? Nothing like that happened. That didn't happen at that time. I never heard. We had our argument. We had our disagreement, um, as you do sometimes on a football pitch. Yeah. Um, then he ran up it back Air into his position. Mode, Anton. Yeah. Come on, a bit of respect. A bit of respect for the broadcast. Sorry. He ran back into his position. I'm back. I'm jogging up the pitch back into my position, and I'm back in the game. Then. That was it. I never heard anything. So on the pitch, you never heard him say you're a fucking black hunt? Never heard anything. So you leave the game. He comes up to you afterwards. He goes, are we good? You could sense that he was a bit paranoid that he said something to you, possibly. No. Didn't know a thing. Until you got shown a video of him saying the black hunt thing. Until I saw the video, yeah. So do you think there's a possibility that he was actually correcting himself? as he claimed in court, do you think there's a possibility that he was saying, oh, never called you that, and his adrenaline was high, and he was just thinking that you said he called you that? For me, the footage speaks for itself. Yeah. But he got found not guilty in a court of law. That's how the journey went, and I'm in a place in my life now where that he say she say really now is irrelevant I'm about the bigger picture now and the fight that we fight today and we have fought for a long time that's bigger than the incident that I had nine years ago and racism in English football has always been appalling but 
with that being John Terry's only kind of incidence of racism, allegedly, and with so many teammates, people who were uh, black themselves coming out and defending him, is there any party that think that he kind of got fucked over by this whole thing? If what he's saying is true, he heard you wrong and he was defending what he didn't say. He lost his England captaincy over that. I look at my own truth and I look at it in the sense of my own opinion in terms of the documentary. All I'd done was present my facts and my truth and let people make their decision and make their own mind up off the base of what I present to them. And what I presented within the documentary is my truth and what I believe he said. So you're basing it off what everyone's saying is the footage. Yeah. And he's saying that footage is him correcting himself, saying he did not, I I didn't call you that. Yeah. What did you make of Terry before that incident? Good guy or a bit of a a dick? I always looked up to him as a football player. I've got to remember, I've known these guys since I was like nine, ten years old. That incident completely changed your life and career. It was taken out of your hands because there was footage. There was a public complaint that he said black cunt. Yeah. So that's why it went to court. So there's nothing you could have done differently. There's nothing. But there. you say you regret not speaking up. Yeah, I do regret. But how could you regret not speaking up if you didn't hear it on the pitch and you're just basing it off the footage we all saw? Because I'm not talking, I'm not saying talking up. And saying, oh, he said this, he said that. I'm talking about talking up and controlling the narrative of what happened. Because I didn't do that, people were allowed to, journalists were allowed to write whatever they wanted because I never spoke. And in them doing that, they were accused for nine you years. For nine years. Card, for nine years, I've been deemed a liar. I've yeah. been deemed a grass. Even though you didn't say anything. Even though, way. even though I didn't say nothing, I was hesitant because of the whirlwind that I was in. What was created around the incident is what made me stay quiet. The the, and I know what it is now after doing documentary. The trauma and yeah. going and speaking to D Albert, psychologist on the on the documentary. When she says to me. The first, the first thing that you, that people do when they have an incident like mine is is silent. The first thing of of a racial incident or an alleged racial racial incident is silence, and that's what it was. It was the whirlwind. It wasn't nothing to do with oh, because I thought he said this or I think he said this from what I saw. That's why I didn't speak up. I didn't speak up because I was in a whirlwind of social media abuse. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get, I couldn't get away from it. They took it out of your hands, and it was out of my hands. He also got abuse for being racist. So you got abuse. So did he. It should be more of a media message, more of a societal message of how we treat black v white. Would it not be very powerful for you and Terry to both come out saying we both paid huge prices for this, not off the incidents, but off the social impact and how people reacted around us? Because it is here nor there whether or not you think he's lying for him. Let's say he is telling the truth. Let's just say in some weird world he is. You'd be very fucking annoyed by being called a racist if all you were doing was correcting yourself in play. All I can say is, you've seen a documentary. What is your, and that's this is why I've done the documentary is to present my truth. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you, what do you think? I think the documentary points out some parts of society in which black people are afraid to speak up, expected to have a position of silence, and expected to have a position where they don't not only not defend themselves but accept being second class citizens. But what I also found is... Sorry to cut you, and that answers my, that answers your question but, for me. But what I found is personally, just in John Terry, with the phone call bit and the email bit, I don't know if I found that necessary because he is slightly portrayed as so a you're, racist. you're misinterpreting why why I wanted him to be on the documentary. No, my, I get why you did. My doc- and, why and, leave it in that he didn't answer? If he did answer, great. It's a great moment. But by leaving in the fact that he didn't pick up and the fact that he didn't respond, it nearly makes it look like he has something to hide. Is never, that's never the case. It, the, the the bigger picture is two people who were involved in the biggest incident in football in terms of, of a racism case or an alleged racism case. If they can come together and talk about not not the incident, talk about because 
if he was to apologise or say he did it, I don't care about that. That's irrelevant to me. I'm in a place in my life, I don't really care. Do you think he did it, though? I don't, pardon? Do you think he did it? As I just said, it's irrelevant. But knowing like anything about the guy or people you've known and know, it's do you irrelevant think he's capable me. of saying that? It's irrelevant to me. It is actually irrelevant to me. It is the, kind of relevant, though, because that's it, the accusation of the whole thing. It case. isn't, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I didn't accuse him, so there isn't. I know you didn't, but society. And this, this, but this is why it's irrelevant to me because I didn't, I didn't accuse him of it, right? And the fact of the matter is, people and I have seen a bit of footage, right? We've interpreted, we we've seen, I've seen, and other people have seen, and seen it for what it is. In saying that, the message and the reason why I've done this documentary. The motive behind documentary was if two people who were involved in the biggest racism incident, alleged racism incident, yeah. can come together and speak about how it affected them and what the powers in football, the organisation in football, what they did and what they could have, what they didn't do and what they could have done better, it would educate these people so that the next generation, if anything ever happens to them, like what happened to to, to me. And 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 the incident um, and John Terry, who else was who was in the incident, how not to deal with a situation that for me is more powerful than anything else, and that's why you asking me is, do I think he said it? Do, do I think does he? That's all. That's irrelevant to me because I agree uh, with everything you've just said. The only reason I think it's relevant is because the whole friction and the whole conflict of the situation lies off the fact that he denies it. That's what's important. The fact that the matter is, but if, if, he, if but it if isn't he did, true, but though, if he didn't deny it, if we he have didn't. to also look at John Terry as the individual. If it isn't true, and I'm not saying it isn't true, I'm saying based off the footage, we can only see what he says. But his claim, which held up in a court of law, is that he was sarcastically defending himself. And he had his reputation tarnished. It, it damaged his life, and maybe rightly so. But if he didn't do it, it, it is important also. I know racism is a huge issue and the way the media dealt with it is the point, but there's still an individual whose legacy and reputation has been ruined off it. Is it not important that you two guys sit down and maybe either you tell him you think he's lying or you tell him that, bro, I believe you. But let's my, talk about the overall level of it. My, Someone has to clear their name. My, did Terry say that to you or not? My my thing would be, even if even if he did back then, Say okay, I said it. Whatever. If he did back then, the message would still be the same. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, cloudiness. The message for me would still be the same. There would have been other players who said something to you on the pitch about your race. Would there have been in your time playing professional football? No, I, I no did, one ever I said have, anything. I did have for England what? playing against Germany. Playing against Germany. Yeah, a player called me a monkey. Who? Um, Aaron Hunt, I think his name is. Did he go on to do anything big? Um, he played for Wolfsburg, I think. He Did you play in the game where Joe Hart took the penalty and all that stuff? The under twenty one game. Yeah, I missed the penalty as well. That Jesus, game. man, why do why do you keep taking them? I scored the first one. Yeah. And it came back round to me. Oh yeah, it did come back round. I remember watching it was, that. It was thirteen twelve. That or game like was that. fucking outrageous. I need to understand what I went through because I didn't, and that's clear to see in a documentary. But I need people to understand also what I went through, so they can look at it and go, "Wow, we're so far away from what we where we want to be." And there does need to be positive change. And by that, by this documentary happening, we'll hopefully open up them discussions where we can actually use someone's experience on how not to deal with an incident the way that they did. It isn't about JT. Exactly that. Do you feel that he's paranoid about him being the villain and that's why he didn't answer and that's why he's not responding? He thinks it looks like he's the racist villain. Potentially. So can you understand his side of it? I respect his decision that he didn't want to. I respect it. I respect. His, I have to respect his decision. If he doesn't want to be on a documentary, he doesn't want to be on a documentary. Yeah, I saw you talk about when you played at South End. How you felt like you were a different player after your your mom passed away. For me, like people that know me, I pride myself on the way I play. I pride myself on on results. Yeah, and when anything's ever happened to me off the pitch my personal life anything I've always football's always been my get out so for that two hours a day or that 90 minutes when I'm playing a game whatever was whatever was going on 
wasn't in my head, I was concentrating on football. So football was always my, always my get out. When my mum died, that wasn't the case. So, but she, this is she died. This is how much that 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 thought process I thought was the one because she died and I played a a game the next day, which was a, a friendly game the next day, and it was I nearly got injured because of it. I wasn't concentrating. I nearly got injured, and. All of a sudden, I realised, wow, football ain't my get out for this. And I panicked. She was the matriarch of our family. Anything that... So my family's unique. I'm lucky with the family... We're lucky with the family that we got in terms of my mum and dad split up when when I was five. Yeah. Um, my mum married. My my uh, dad had children with with another woman. yeah. yeah. And, but we're one family. You would, you would, if but we you and Rio are the one. only two off that duo. Yeah, yeah. but if yeah, so but if, if talent you... wasn't that duo, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, because there's talent. My my sisters are dancers. You know, um, my, in my terms of top level footy, we're talking we're talking real talking talent football. Here. Yeah, we, um, we can all do a John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you saw us together, you wouldn't think that we got set different parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one we got one parent that's different. We all. What was she like, let's say, when you make your West Ham debut? What would she say to you? Because you see a lot of parents, they go, they frame it on the wall and it's such a big deal. They go down to the salon or they go down to the florist and they tell everyone who wants to listen. No. But was she just saying, you're going to get even further? Yeah. She like, okay, well done. She, w- she would tell people, like she would say, like she was proud of her son. Yeah. My dad, different. Hard boy. My dad, okay, well done. Uh, what are you going to do next week? And mum was like, my son was playing in, in West Ham first team. She was proud. I'm not saying my dad wasn't proud. He was proud. He just showed it in a different way. Yeah. You know, my dad, like, even when we were younger, we old football. Yeah, when we went football, he was, so we call it tough love. When we went football, I would sometimes get in a car thinking I've played well and he would hammer me. Yeah. But he would hammer me for one thing. Yeah. But, I forgot that one thing because we won the game and I was unbelievable for the rep for the for the other eighty something minutes. It's unexplainable when you lose the person who for me she was my soundboard. She was I had anything, any problems, she I would speak to her. I would speak to my mum on the way to training every day. Even if I weren't didn't have problems, I would speak to her every day. I know you're married. Four years I've been married. And do you think there's the natural transition of a man that that kind of reliance you have on a mother needs to be replaced by another strong female figure? Mm, 100%. Like, did the fact that your mom died, if that had happened when you were 21, or if that had happened when you were 25, would you have been fucked? Potentially. But then it happens when you have the wife and potentially still fucked, but you can look at your wife and you can look at her with your kids and you can go, there's a future after this. 100%. But at the time, my wife couldn't even help me at the time. And I look at this now and I go, do you know what? I lost my... So I'm the first one in probably my group of friends that have lost their parent at this hour. I have a friend that I went to school with who he lost his parents younger and before he had children. Yeah. But it's different then to what it is now. Yeah. You know, because we've got children. Like you say, you've got, you got a wife, you've got children. Yeah. You've got a support system and stuff. But I'm like looking at it go. I'm the first one to lose my parent, my my mum, out of my group. And that's for a reason. So I can help and give advice when it happens to them. And that's my mum in me. Because my mum, anyone who knew my mum, my mum and me and Rio say this all the time, she had a knack of 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 just always being at the right time in the right place. She had a knack of of utilising her time she always had time for for people and what lets you know that the week leading up to her dying the hospital said they'd never seen anything like it so many people come through them doors just to say bye people from the estate that we grew up 30 odd years before came to say bye you know they'd heard that she was in hospital she wasn't well they came to see her you know, and I know I didn't realise how much I was like my mum 
until she wasn't here no more. I knew I was like her, but I didn't realise how much. She was pushing you to do something when the racism thing came out. Yeah. Even though there would have been powerful forces left, right and centre saying, let the authorities take care of it. She was saying to you, if you feel there's an injustice and, here. And that's the burden that I carry, more, that I carried more than anything. So do what you're doing. I went away from what I grew up to do. Yeah, but all you can do is do what you're doing. Of course, but when you're taught and told and brought up to speak out, if something makes you feel comfortable, if, something, if you don't like something, speak. If you're brought up to do that and then you don't do it, you go away from That's what it was that. That's what really killed me is that I went away from, from what I was brought up to do. Anton, what a well-rounded geezer. You seem to have uh, developed into him. What a fascinating life. It's been a pleasure to talk Thank to you. you. Thank pleasure you for having to have me on. Hey, Meisha. Cheers, It's been how many years, my boy. You still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take it slow. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Makes me feel just fine. Makes me see the light. What about those tears? Tears believe my eyes. How's it make a face? Makes me feel.